0: Welcome to Sips and Quips, an informal conversation with folks who know the IMSIS program best, international masters in security, intelligence, and strategic studies, that is. Today we're going to be chatting with Rory McDonald. Say hello to the listeners.
1: Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me.
0: You're so welcome. Uh, really, I mean, I wanted to bring you on uh, to chat a little bit uh, about yourself, to also chat a little bit about some pressing security issues you've been seeing, kind of looking into, or, um, you know, that you think uh, folks may not know about um, Canada, where you're from, for example, or, uh, you know, really kind of any other, any other region. Uh, so let's hop in. Why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about where you're from? Um,
1: I'm, from I'm from Canada. I was, I was born in, uh, in Calgary, which is near the, the mountains, but I moved here from, uh, from Toronto. Uh, which is where the majority of the Canadian population
0: comes from. Nice, nice. And uh, what brought you to IMSIS? Like, what were you doing before you started the program?
1: So I have, I have sort of an, uh, uh, maybe a maybe a little bit more of an unusual route to get to this this program than 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 some of the other people. For um, since my mid 20s, I was I was a professional fighter, and then I became a fight coach and and ran a uh, a combat oriented uh, gym. I coached athletes um, in boxing, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and in, in MMA in the UFC. Um, and and working on working with 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 those types of athletes, I ran into a lot of police and military. That 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 just by the nature of the work that they do, they're attracted, I think, to, to that sport. Yeah. And that that led to some opportunities to work with um, uh, police and military in a professional sense. So I, I worked with. Uh, the Toronto Guns and Gangs um, uh, Division. I worked with uh, Canadian military combat teams, and I was I was sort of teaching them the 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 on the ground use of force, use of violence. Um, but I didn't have a lot of say or impact in 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 how that violence was used. Uh, and the analogy I use this I actually use this analogy in a paper recently where I said you know it's like teaching somebody use a hammer Mm -hmm. and you teach them the hammer with the understanding that they're going to use it to build a house but then instead they use it to beat somebody to death but they did it more effectively because of how you taught them and i wasn't okay with with that with that gap where where if i'm gonna if i'm going to teach somebody how to use this i want to have some say in where that violence is aimed and how it's and how it's used Mm -hmm. and when the pandemic Started, it gave me an opportunity to to really think about what I was doing and why. And I decided I want to move towards uh, shaping policy. I want to move towards an ethical use of violence. If that is what we're going to do, I want to to have a say in how it's used, not just what we do.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and I think in looking. In looking at um, not only this conversation but many conversations, probably you and I both have had, uh, a lot of people I think took the opportunity of the pandemic to kind of reassess and reevaluate their their priorities and their values. So I think it's really interesting because you know you have a very varied background, um, and many other people in the program this year I think uh, potentially are coming into IMSIS with backgrounds that um, you know aren't necessarily straight lines into into the study of security or the field of
1: security. You know, it's funny you mention that. I I, uh, I was talking to, to my friend Nate, um, our friend Nate, uh, earlier, and I said it's one of the most valuable things about the program for me. The, the program itself I'm really enjoying. I, I, I see a lot of value in it, but there's such a uh, a wide range of... of of people and and reasons for people to be in this program that I've learned as much speaking to to people about why they're here as as I have from the program itself.
0: Definitely. And so, okay, I almost said a little birdie told me, but it was through uh, true open source intelligence uh, that, so you've been, since starting the program, you know, kind of interning, working um, with a few different outlets, and and have actually you know produced some works, some articles. So why don't you walk us through like you know one of your favorite pieces you've done recently, and and kind of what you focused on.
1: So one one of the I'm, I'm working with um, a think tank in in Washington called Rise to Peace, and it's a counterterrorism think tank that was started by an um, an an, ex, an expat uh, Afghan that that, uh, that left Afghanistan. 10 or 15 years ago because of the ongoing difficulties. And, and one of the reasons I was attracted to, the, to that think tank in particular is because they, they approach counterterrorism from from the idea of peace. Not, not from, you know, who do we have to kill to solve this problem, but how can we resolve um, um, uh, terrorist issues without resorting to violence if it's possible. And they've given me a lot of leeway in terms of what I, what I write and what I do. And so what what I've been focusing on is is a historical approach to counterterrorism, looking at um, historical examples of terrorism that have been resolved successfully uh, or unsuccessfully and trying to parse out lessons that might be meaningful more more broadly. And I've I've written about, um, you know, you and I both went to to Belfast and and learned uh, firsthand about the Troubles, uh, and I was able to write after that an article about the IRA and and the Good Fi- Friday Agreement and how that was resolved. Uh, I've written about some failures in Canadian counterterrorism. Um, I've written about French counterterror measures, and I'm working on an, on a piece right now. I'm I'm I'm, I'm really excited about. So I want to go back even further and look at the the terrorism and insurgency in Spain during the Napoleonic Wars, and and understanding terrorism as maybe a, 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 a an aspect of political violence can help shape solutions as well as understanding what the problem actually is, where instead of maybe a random act of violence, you, you can understand some of the roots of, of how this happened and some of the things that have been successful or have not been successful over the past 100, 200 years. I, I think it's something that, that genuinely is under understudied and
0: under-researched. That'll be really interesting, I think, so I'll be looking forward to reading the article. Um, you, one article uh, that I read that you did <clears throat> was on um, actually the the kind of burgeoning. I think people are finally realizing, like what a what a co- kind of forward facing or or overarching um, security consideration um, and a strategy, frankly, that that many countries need to be considering and aren't yet. But that's the Arctic in the region. Uh, so as someone, I mean, as someone who comes from Canada, is is that what Kind of got you interested in writing about that security consideration originally, or was it something else?
1: No, that you're 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 bang on. It's something that that you know, I mean, part partly uh, this this course starts starts you thinking about broad issues, about about long-term problems, uh, long-term opportunities as, as well. And the Arctic right now um, is it's fascinating. It's such a it's such an interesting part of the world. There is. Uh, I I mean I did just write an article so I have some of these these numbers off the top of my head but 30 percent of the the world's untapped crude oil and 15 to 20 percent of the world's untapped natural gas might be under the the polar ice caps right now. Um, The Northwest Passage which was uh, a figment of the imagination a hundred years ago is a real thing now. Uh, 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 Climate change is real, uh, ice is is retreating and, and you can navigate the Northwest Passage uh, without ice-breaking ships in the summer months already, and that's only going to, to increase. And when you look at the the layout of the Arctic, it's 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 rarely presented in a way that we understand on a map. It's always sort of the on the on the periphery. But if you actually look at the Arctic, Russia has a massive, massive coastline that is only a few hundred kilometers away from Canada and the United States and Denmark. Um, and the and this this scared the, the hell out of me. But China recently released a white paper describing themselves as a near-polar state, and they describe something called the Polar Silk Road, where they they fully intend to incorporate the the, the Arctic passages into the the Silk Road. Uh, 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 sorry, the Belt and Road Initiative, mm-hmm. that's a centerpiece of uh, Xi Jinping's uh, foreign policy. And so, as it stands right now, Canada uh, would would struggle to defend any any part of of the Arctic one of there was I, 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 I had the opportunity to meet this man there was a, 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 a famous general uh, from Canada named Walter uh, Nintinchuk and he was the 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 commanding officer of the uh, Allied Afghan forces at uh, in Kandahar for a couple of years but he said if anybody ever tried to invade the Arctic my job would be to go rescue them um, because it's extremely inhospitable and that, that is true. That is true. Canada Canada would be responsible for search and rescue operations, but at the same time, it's becoming more viable as as a as a as a potential zone of conflict. The wealth uh, that's that's uh, uh, present there, the number of countries that have uh, expressed uh, 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 sovereignty over the Arctic, and the conflicts that, that arise from that. I think it is. Uh, something that, that the United States, that Canada, that, 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 that Russia, that, that Denmark, the China, uh, all the Scandinavian countries really need to, to think about what they're going to do and how they're going to protect their own interests in that, in that area.
0: Well, and I would say at this point, uh, in the current landscape, in the current context of the repercussions of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, I mean, countries are, you know, they're scrambling to kind of figure out diversification away from Russian energy uh, independence, Um, you know, LNG uh, terminals and and considerations are like hugely, hugely on the docket um, when it comes to, you know, EU and and U.S. and some of the big player strategies of trying to say, you know, how the hell do we get out of, uh, you know, basically funding Putin's Funding
1: Russian incursions into into other places. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, I, I came to this program with a very practical, grassroots, on-the-ground approach to security, thinking about what a state does to people. And one of the things that I've, I've had my eyes open to is, is how much energy and food security impact global, global conflict. And I read, I read a fascinating article that talked about the Arab Spring, the um, the, um, the the massive uprisings across the Islamic uh, countries in two thousand the 2010s. The, uh, but that was probably directly related to food shortages uh, from Russia and, and the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, th- those types of energy crises, those types of food crises will lead to global conflicts that we can't necessarily predict beyond the fact that they probably will happen. Yeah,
0: it's I mean, it's extremely interesting and I would agree with you that you know, kind of, <clears throat> no matter what preconceptions of of security or strategy that you come in with, uh, you know, when you start the program, I mean, I totally agree. It just gets you thinking in a completely different way about um, you know the implications of. Of security across a huge, huge array of um, you know areas or arenas that all are kind of concentric circles overlapping each other, and you know, or like a domino effect of where you know one if one goes, then then further down the line you're going to be able to see kind of the impacts and implications of of that happening.
1: Absolutely
0: huge. So. Is there anything um, that you had on your mind to talk about uh, when it came to uh, security, when it came to um, the IMSIS program, or anything like that that you wanted to really kind of dig into or talk about um, that we haven't touched on?
1: So that's a big question. You know, the the course is so wide ranging. There's so there's so many things. I um,
0: well, and especially now that that now that we've just finished the semester where it's, um, you know, you could really kind of pick and play with, uh, you know, oh, I think I want to do a course that's, you know, focused on gender and sexuality. Um, you know, I, I ended up taking a course about um, emerging issues in, in violence and, and conflict data, uh, which was super fascinating. But, I, I mean, I feel like we, we had, you know, all of these choices and then now we're like, oh, my God, I could talk for hours and hours now about... You oh,
1: and, and they're all—they're all, they're all <laughs> <for> fascinating. <laughs> so one of one of the things that I've been—I've been thinking about uh, and reading about more is—is is maybe the the reemergence of of, of grand strategy amongst um, uh, great powers uh, in, in the world, uh, and I'm particularly interested in how that how that intersects with counterinsurgency, counterterrorism. Things that maybe don't seem necessarily like their um, their grand strategy issues. I've been watching. I've been watching a show uh, called Homeland, mm-hmm. yeah. which is it's, it's 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 a it's a great show. It's a great show. It's well done. It's it's. Uh, I mean, it's a little less like Jason Bourne uh, and a little more informed. Although there still are Jason Bourne. Um, Jason Bourne moments, but there was a line in, in, in the movie where they're talking about the U.S. involvement in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, uh, and it was the head of the NSA yelling at somebody in the White House, and he said, we have never had a, a, a longer-term plan than one year at a time. And so we haven't, at the time they'd been in Afghanistan, you, the Americans had been in Afghanistan for 14 years. And he said, yeah. so we haven't fought one, year for, for one war for 14 years. We fought 14 wars one year at a time. And I, I think that's true. I think I think there's there's such a, a reactive component to counterterrorism, counterinsurgency. There's such a reactive component to why great powers, not just Western powers, but get involved in places like Afghanistan or Syria, um, without really thinking about what, why, what, what's what's actually what you're actually trying to accomplish, uh, what the goals are fr- from from those actions, and starting to align. Counterinsurgency, counterterrorism, on the ground involvement with a grand strategy—I think—I think could bear fruit in terms of in terms of thought. It might mitigate harm. Uh, it might it might say, well, you know, we can't we can't really help here. Or, we might make things worse, but we can't make things better. Uh, and that might be uh, a, a means of mitigating of mitigating harm. Yeah.
0: And I, I, it got me thinking when you were just talking about. Um, the idea of how Europe and, and the EU in particular especially under the French presidency that they've got going right now Which is right in line with um, you know with kind of McCall's pushes uh, forward for European strategic autonomy and um, You know a strong Europe and a, and a strong EU and um, I was listening in on a on a think tank talk um, last week where it was discussing okay It'll be interesting to see what happens when it shifts from a french presidency to a czech presidency uh, but at the same time the the has really kind of put a lot of um you know power behind the words uh in a way when it comes to the the war in in ukraine and um and you know they've kind of been pushing uh in many ways even though they're not "Quote unquote, one of the front-line um, countries, but they've been offering, you know, humanitarian assistance. They've been offering, you know, and pushing larger countries to do more uh, militarily. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I think what potentially a European grand strategy is going to look like post, you know, kind of the the as one of the one of the experts um, on a different talk actually." that uh february 24th uh the invasion of ukraine was like was like the eu's 9 11. like it'll change absolutely it'll never be the same
1: there's there's some really interesting ideas there uh you know i I think you could look at uh uh, canada and chechia and and a few of the individual european countries as middle powers i think that's a Mm -hmm. that's a that's a fair a fair statement and there's opportunities for middle powers to influence great powers and to and to do some some good themselves and it's, it's something that I'm advocating for um, in policy papers uh, within Canada um, saying that, that Canada should take this as an opportunity to, to start to, to have some self-determination in terms of security. That this is an opportunity to say right now there is a far more credible threat to ca- Canadian safety and sovereignty than there has been in the past since the high watermark of the, the, the Cold War. And there may be the political will to shift uh, to a position where uh, we can help the, the Ukraine, literally. Uh, where we can uh, be a, a valuable partner to the EU. Where we can recommit to something like NORAD uh, with, with the United States. And, and through doing that, you, you recommit to uh, uh, the connection you have with your allies. You improve your own sovereignty. You improve your own, your own security. Um, and and this uh, the invasion of Ukraine should be a wake-up call to to a lot of countries that uh, you know maybe you can't rely on uh, a deterrence as a way to avoid conflict and, uh, and uh, not to speak at all for for America or for Americans but from the outside it looks like America in some ways might be moving back towards uh, sort of the pre-World War II uh, isolationism, uh, you know, uh, what, I can't remember what it was called, it wasn't the Marshall Doc Doctrine, but the idea that let Europe figure Europe out, let, let those problems uh, stay there. And, and the United States is in a position, they're, they're one of the most energy secure countries on earth. They have the ability to, to supply their own energy indefinitely. And so they don't need to, to, to do anything. I like a world that, that doesn't look at the United States as, as the policeman, uh, that, that doesn't rely on, on the United States to protect everyone's interests. I, I like a world where, where people are strong and secure look out for their own interests and they support their allies, uh, they don't go looking for fights, but they're able to, to protect their own interests without having to uh, 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 follow the lead. Of, of great powers. So this is an opportunity, I think, for, for to your point, middle powers like Chechia, Canada, uh, to, to start to exert some sovereignty.
0: Absolutely. Well, I am so glad that listeners were able to uh, kind of get a peek into what our conversations normally sound like, anyways. Uh, this is basically how we talk. All the yeah, time. this is really this is actually what we talk about uh, on the regular. So, uh, but yeah, happy to have had the conversation and share a pint with you. Um, and one of yeah. our last one of
1: our last Guinnesses. I in know. Uh, in Dublin. <laughs> cheers to that. Cheers, cheers.